Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Happy fucking New Year. Oh, hey, do you, listen, listen, do you hear that? Do you hear that? No, I, I don't. That is the sound of uh, a city that is under lockdown at night. <laughs> Our curfew <Ooh>. has happened. <laughs> oh, new year, new pandemic tactics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's that been like? It was started last night. So we record on Sunday nights. And uh, last night I got one of those Amber Alert messages uh, at 630 being like, you must go and get your milk now. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, shut up. I know. <laughs> but it's it's a bit confusing. I mean, you know, the, the message is like, you cannot leave your property or your yard. And it's like, well, I don't have a yard. So what does that mean? Um, but we are apparently allowed to go for a walk within a kilometer of the house. So or a, a kilometer of where you live. And so um, I'm, you know, I'm planning on trying to go for a ski in a couple of nights because uh, I can do that within a kilometer of my house in a park. Mm-hmm. So, um, so far, so good. But of course, it's a measure that, uh, you know, did they at the same time do anything to slow down manufacturing, construction, the industries, fabrication, uh, food processing, all those industries that have a lot of spread and that are spreading coronavirus around town? No, no, they have not. So... It's um, it's it's a it's a bullshit measure, but I mean, it's it's quiet. So this is gonna be a quiet recording on my end. <laughs> oh, well, um, we have no such curfew, but the wait to go to the hospital for anybody who might be experiencing anything is three to four hours in L.A. right now. So, you know, um, wow, all good. Twenty twenty one. well as predicted it doesn't feel like a new year so i mean we got that one right no yeah it really doesn't it feels like the longest december the longest december and we did get that one right and (laughs) guess what else we got right nora (laughs) (laughs) um I'm af- I'm afraid. I'm afraid we got we got the United States right again. We got the American election prediction correct. And just to remind folks what our prediction was, our prediction was that Trump would win again or that Biden would win with a margin that was so small that it really encouraged people on the right and the white supremacist right in particular to do some sort of uh violent acts around the country. <laughs> mm. And uh, yeah, um, here we are, uh, the best political show out there. So before we get into it, <laughs> uh, should we thank some folks? I'm sure we should thank some folks. Yes, we have some folks to thank. So, you know, this is 2021. We promised in 2020 that we would come and see you all as soon as we can. And that still stands. Um, but, you know, <laughs> uh. So in the meantime, um, all of your donations and support have been so wonderful. And um, I heard from a lot of you over the holidays um, about how like much Sandy Nora has meant to you over the past couple of months. And honestly, like as this stuff was happening um, in the in the United States, Sandy, I don't know if you felt this, but I was like, oh, my God, I need Sandy and Nora. <laughs> Oh, no, totally, totally. I was like, I was like, oh, my God, I wonder what Nora would think about that. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so for everybody that has been supporting us financially, um, thank you so, so much. We really, really appreciate it. And for everybody who has changed their pledge, uh, just come along as a, a supporter for the first time. Uh, thank you as well. And I'm going to read your names. And if I miss you because everything's all kind of like wacky because of the time off, um, just send me a message and I'll make sure that we add you to the next um, episode. So thank you very much to Kyle, Jesse, Sean, Angela, Melissa, Anna, 
Heather, Brad, Zariah, Mark, Catherine, Aaron, Maya, Monica, Eric, Julie, Hannah, Kelly, and a different Hannah. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Oh my God. So Nora, guess what? Uh, you got something sweet for the holidays? No. No, but <laughs> oh. but I, I was just going to inform you that it seems like the world um, is like cluing in uh, to the danger that white supremacy is. Well, at least some people in the world. It just feels like more people are. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's kind of felt like for the past I don't know fucking decade or so. You know, we've been there's been a bunch of us who've been like waving our arms like hey hey. There's like some really dangerous shit going on over here that we might want to address. And then the people in power are like, LOL, at that ragtag bunch of losers who exist only on the internet. Do not take them seriously. And we're mm. like, they don't exist only on the internet. But then, you know, nobody cared. And and now, now people are cluing into the world that we have always lived in. Welcome. Welcome to the world. <laughs> oh, my God. World. <laughs> It's been really interesting to see how the far right has um, shifted during the pandemic. And I would say that they were like one of those movements that were really prepared for some sort of catastrophe to happen and to mobilize around it. And not to say that other movements haven't been. I think there's been a lot of really amazing left-wing movements that have had um, a lot of oxygen given to their movements um, from various events that have happened across uh, 2020. But the far right was definitely ready for a pandemic. And the way that it it morphed from being neo-Nazi, neo-fascist or proto-fascist or white supremacist or or all of those together in different kinds of movements, especially in Canada tied to resource extraction and the environment, the way that that has all morphed into this glob of people who are now talking about the masks and vaccines and, 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 and things that actually cause active harm uh, to a lot of people, but especially racialized people, um, has been really fascinating. And I think that the, the, the way that that exploded uh, this past week in Washington, D.C. is very um, telling, I think, on the, for, the, for what path we're currently taking. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight is what happened, what does it mean, what did we see, what didn't we see, and how should we be understanding these forces, um, especially as Canadians who um, might be looking at that and saying, well, at least we haven't had that, uh, or who might be looking at that saying, well, there was a guy that literally tried to drive his car into Justin Trudeau's house and, and kill him or arrest him or something. We have had that kind of we're in a really incredible moment, and I feel like we uh, tonight or today, this morning, depending on when you're listening, uh, are going to be able to unpack some of this stuff for for you all. Yes. Okay. So where do we start? What happened? <laughs> what happened on <laughs> January 6th? Man, I was in a number of interviews in the days following where I wanted to just tear my hair out because, you know, uh, it's kind of annoying being on some of these panel interviews because uh, they often come to me as, you know, and so what's the black perspective? But they don't, they don't, they don't let me talk about things as broadly, which is, which can sometimes be frustrating. So um, uh, I was often being asked to speak about the um, comparison 
of what happened on January 6th to BLM rallies, but listening to other people discuss what happened on January 6th as, you know, literal, a bunch of just what I had just said before, a bunch of uh, disorganized losers who can't, who can't uh, uh, take a loss, um, uh, clamoring in a disorganized manner over uh, to the to the to the Capitol because they they can't handle their loss, and I'm like, what? A short-sighted way to look at this. It's um, it's really unbelievable. So one thing where I'd like to start is to be very clear and unequivocal about the fact that actually this is a very organized movement. I mean, just just looking at what happened, I mean, first of all, there were thousands of people there. You don't get thousands of people in a particular location uh, for, a poli- for a political thing unless you're organized. It's just, it's you, you have to have some sort of political organization around that. And then they, they yes, they breached the Capitol building at three different locations. Like, <laughs> for folks who've never been to D.C., the Capitol building is massive. It is, it's it's giant. It, like, really dwarfs you. Like, you feel uh, extremely small walking along um, the, the mall in D.C. where all these big buildings are. Um, they had it, they, they, they breached it from the east side and the west side and the southeast corner it's like you don't have (laughs) it's not a disorganized mob um just randomly oops you know happening to to breach the capital from three different locations and then they found all of these bombs (laughs) it's just oh you just a ragtime group of disorganized people who spend hours learning how to and making bombs and then bringing them over to the capital area and just you know strategically placing them in particular locations that is not a, a disorganized group and i just people have got to stop dismissing white supremacists it's just i i hope that people are getting to the point where it's like you cannot dismiss the danger of uh, what these people are and how they've managed to organize such support uh during the last few years of of this era of politics I have a question for you, and I don't know if you know the answer, but what was the total number of people that were out? Do you know the estimate? Um, an article that I read yesterday said it was 20,000. About 20,000 people were there. Isn't it weird how that was not really reported? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that that <laughs> is highly strange because it's hard to tell, right? Like you're, you're looking at the, the videos on the inside. It's hard to tell. How, look, that could be a, f- a couple hundred people, maybe less. You're looking at the videos of the steps. It's hard to tell. Then you look at the zoom out and it's still hard to tell because people are kind of dispersed around. But I did see, mm-hmm. I think it was the Washington Post has said that it was at least 20,000 people. 
So like that for me was like clue number one that this was going to be covered in a very different way than other events. And I mm, think it is mm-hmm. so interesting. Interesting is, I mean, a difficult word. In French, interesting always means good. So I'm always hesitant to say something's interesting when it's not good. But I think it's very interesting that you were asked uh, so many times to compare what happened there to BLM marches and rallies as if there's any parallel. I mean, you oh, could yeah. just as well ask, um, hello, uh, Mr. Smith, <laughs> no. uh, you've been organizing the local Santa Claus parade in Pittsburgh every year. How does this compare to that? You know, like there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'll give you even one better um, in the initial like just as it had happened. I was like, oh, gosh, get it, better get myself together because I expected to be called. And I was on this interview um, while it was still ongoing where someone asked me, so what about the counter protests? Are you, are, do you think, are you planning, like, do you know of other BLM activists who are planning what? counter protests? And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, that was a common theme early in the day that people were like, okay, so now what's BLM going to do? And I'm like, I don't think you understand anything about this political moment <laughs> if you believe that just because some white supremacist folks are out there uh, trying to uh, throw that, take down the government and, I don't know, fucking fuck all this shit up that black people are going to be out there like this is not you folks really have this commitment to believing this both Mm -hmm. sidesism that there's symmetry to these movements when that logic makes absolutely no sense like i was floored i was like am i no 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 there will counter no i'm at home (laughs) and uh, will be for the foreseeable future (laughs) i'm not going anywhere and i don't think any blm activists are going fucking anywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> like what yeah yeah well it's it speaks to um a complete um ignorance on what the point of um uh, putting yourself in the street is like why does blm mm-hmm. take over a street why does blm march why 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 does anybody march why does anyone protest um a protest uh that doesn't like march inside of a building of of parliament or of a legislature to stop what's happening and to loot it <laughs> that's kind of like a bit different than you know saying hey we're all going to gather on the corner and 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 you know march down here and demand justice for for x or y or z and and even if they were more similar than not at all similar they would still not be similar because they're just tactics right so it's like how do you not understand that the tactic of of a group of people who are demanding uh, civil rights, demanding uh, access to justice, demanding that things change, how is that in any way the same as a violent group of, of white supremacists who are demanding that their president who lost the election stay in power, right? Like, as you say, it has. Mm-hmm. there's no similarities at all. And so when people, mm-hmm. if you're watching this, you really need to see this fake uh, uh, continuum where you have the white supremacists over on the on the right, you have the Republicans beside them, you have the Democrats beside them, and then you have BLM on the other side of the Democrats. That's the continuum that like a lot of mainstream people want everyone to have in their minds. And that's what they're manufacturing when they're talking about this stuff. They don't want you to really think about how uh, the Republicans and the Democrats are both white supremacist parties. And, you know, as I saw many people say on Twitter, oh, it's super weird that these guys are fighting for a white supremacist to 
like be in power when it'll be white supremacy that's still in power after January 20th. Like, what the mm-hmm. fuck? But that false like political spectrum is is really critical because what does it support? It supports the center. It's the only way that the center can exist. And the center has so much power because the center is where you find the liberal media small L liberal media and liberal politicians who are in both the Democrats and the Republicans. And if you want to translate that to Canada, it's almost like everybody um, on the <laughs> in the House of Commons is a liberal politician almost. Uh, and then again, the, the press is able to be that neutral both sides. Tell me what you feel. Tell me what you feel. And then you create shit like the CBC. I don't know if you saw that tweet where they uh, talked about the one woman who was killed. And um, they the, the tweet was like, um, she was only standing up for what she believed in. She shouldn't have been shot was the tweet with, from her husband. <laughs> right. And then it links to the fact that she was like a raging fucking white supremacist. Right. And so and so we have this unbelievable uh, plane where a raging white supremacist and a, a, an activist from BLM are like the same to the CBC. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, God. that has created yeah, this situation. The, yes, yes, that has created this situation. And it is the the like intellectual poverty of the so-called center that allows us to be here. It is the center that has allowed for these acts to go on and on and on without confrontation that leads to a situation like what happened last week. And, you know, there's um, there's other acts that have been happening um, uh, related to that situation across Canada and the United States. Wow, what was that? <laughs> there are other acts related to what happened on January 6th that have been happening across Canada and the United States in other cities, like just uh, last week, uh, a black woman who was randomly walking um, uh, down the street in Los Angeles and dropped her phone um, was attacked by a, a mob of, of white supremacist pr- uh, people who were, um, you know, uh, uh, gathering in support of what was happening in D.C. Uh, and then, you know, snatched her wig off of her head and started yelling about how they did the first scalping of the of the of the revolution or whatever they are calling it and it's um you know it's it's really terrifying and those acts that are now happening like out in the open um they have been happening out in the open without much response like let's not forget uh all of the acts you know Nora just um, mentioned one um there's what happened in Charlottesville uh there's what's what happened in Subinegadi First Nation you know all of these things are related and when power decides well you know both sides have something to say or this is all just really frustrating these two sides aren't able to come together and have a dialogue uh, and equate those things in that way like white supremacists versus people who are like just living their lives trying to live their lives like it's it's unbelievable and the center has been equivocating forever on this stuff just trying to do nothing because that's what the center is desperately trying to do absolutely nothing find reason to do zero <laughs> and there is 
no justifiable reason to do nothing when white supremacy, when you are facing violent white supremacy. There's no justifiable reason unless you are a fucking white supremacist, which is basically um, just what the center has to admit that it's become. Yeah. And you can see it like really plainly when you look at the COVID crisis and how um, we have all the data, we have all the anecdotes, we understand that the the crisis is is rooted in white supremacy. It's it's actively causing harm to black people, to indigenous people, to racialized people, to poor people, to disabled people, um, and to people who work uh, low income jobs or who have precarious uh, living or status situations. And still governments won't do fuck all about it. And so they actually do need uh, us to understand that uh, BLM activists are just extreme and there, you know, there's there's a way to meet in the middle and, and, and negotiate and figure out how to come together um, because under those conditions, the pandemic becomes something that you just can't fix. I'm just stopping because there seems to be a police officer outside of my window. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, unfortunately, I can't go and check it out because we're recording, but um, uh, he's gone now. Um, okay. so, I mean, because we're under curfew, right? So I've been really watching the street. Um, but the, um, the 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 fact that they aren't doing anything is because they don't have to. They don't feel the pressure to to do anything. And and through mainstream journalism, they're able to massage the message to make sure that people don't make these kinds of connections. And I think that that's a really um, big part of how we should be talking about the pandemic and how we should be talking about uh, why the center doesn't really want us to have this conversation that understands that the far right is like the, the, the front line of just like the regular right. Right. Like the, the Republicans, obviously, the Republicans who like expressly supported what happened and were present. And then there's Republicans who would say that they did not. Then there's Republicans who are, you know, have been opposed to Trump for a while now. But they all benefit from the the front lines being these fucking the, the this beardo putsch. Right. Like this um, this what looked like completely chaotic, completely unmanaged, completely ridiculous Situation, And it was so funny because I also was thinking a lot while I was seeing the images of, of what you said, Sandy, um, around like months and months ago, and you probably have said it uh, years ago, too, about the, the necess- necessity of spectacle and of, of, of like making sure that actions like look a certain way, like as ridiculous as the actions mm. looked in Washington, they were really, really effective. And so there's so much planning into what happened. Like it wasn't by fucking accident that a guy with no shirt on with a big fucking Buffalo head thing, uh, was going to be the focal point of, of the, mm-hmm. of the day. That wasn't by accident. That was yeah. obviously planned by some sort of planning group, which of course we, we would never hear of, but I guess that maybe I'm overreacting because it was a coup and the coup's over. <laughs> So it's all done. Right. The coup is over. I mean, at least at the end of the day, the coup was thwarted. Right? Right, Nora? <laughs> that is yeah, what we can take yeah, away yeah. from this situation. I mean, I mean, please do not pay attention to the fact that there were a bunch of cops in the crowd. And now, um, as of Sunday night, uh, police departments across the United States have announced that they are now going to do uh, some sort of investigation into their own ranks about whether or not people from their own police departments were there, and and don't don't think about 
the connections to the military and the National Guard um, and the fact that even the woman who was killed was uh, a member of the National Guard at one point. Don't think about those things. The coup is over. <laughs> okay, It's done. Um, the, the attempt was that moment. It, it was uh, disorganized, as we've uh, laid out earlier, and, um, and nothing. And, and it's done. It's over. That's how coups happen. <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> like they literally wanted us to believe that the guy with no shirt on was like like trying to be like you know the leader of a coup, right? <laughs> this is spectacle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, look again. This is an organized movement, and so not not only uh, is it the case that this happened on the sixth, there were other things that were happening at the same time. There must have been like, that's just kind of how this stuff works. And so the real questions are, what were the negotiations happening behind the scenes that resulted in what happened at Congress later, where a number of uh, Republican um, uh, members of the Senate and the House um, flipped how they were going to vote on the objections to affirming the elections and a number of them didn't. A number of them uh, were stalwart in there. We will oppose. We will object. What were the negotiations and who was negotiated with um, that led to the end of what happened on January 6th? How did it end? <laughs> did people just all decide, OK, we're cool now. We're just going to turn around and walk out of the building? Or were there discussions happening between uh, political actors that led to that situation? What were the discussions mm. that led to the weird recordings of uh, Trump that came out afterwards? You know, like these are really important questions to uh, deliberate on. I don't really understand why they're not being discussed in the media. I, I just I mean, you know, when you when you watch the media report on coups outside of America, uh, these are the types of questions that they ask. They talk about different political actors and what they're mm -hmm. doing. I don't, I don't know why that's not being discussed here or even thought of. I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know what's happening, but the coup would never have just happened in that moment. It's obviously a long-term strategy that started way before this point <laughs> I mean they've been telling us about mm -hmm. it for a long time and will continue um, past this point so mm -hmm. I, I just come on y'all ain't that obvious I don't <laughs> no okay I don't know well I saw um, Vanity Fair had an article saying that Don Jr. and Ivanka's political careers were now over and I just thought that was oh, so God. cute because you fucking know that in five years, Ivanka's going to be on the front page of Vanity Fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, yeah, there's there's these discussions about how, oh, you know, uh, Donald Trump being deplatformed. He can't use his phone anymore. He's not going to be able to exist in public space anymore. And I'm like, you all are not paying attention. <laughs> You're not paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, th this is where, um, as you say, what we don't see is really, really important for, for us to, 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 to keep in mind. Right. It's like the Trumps are richer than anyone listening to this podcast is and, and rich beyond um, probably what you could even imagine. And they live in a world that is 
um, disgusting and fucked up and full of like things that you would probably be shocked to see. Um, and you know, there's, I mean, you go anything from like the Epstein stuff to, um, like just probably the amount of waste that they exist in their life. And you'd be like, that is really wild. They're not normal people. And, and it, and you know, it's about Trump in a way, but it's also not exactly about Trump either, because, you know, the group of people who are diehard for Trump, um, they're going to stick around in some capacity around the, the, the far right Republican movement, or they'll just become random, like, guys committing terrorist acts in different ways. Like, they're going to morph into something. And that's not an insignificant group of people. I mean, you know, I was when this was all happening, or just before this was all happening, I went um, to a park to meet a friend of mine while our kids played. And, uh, and, and she was telling me about like what she was expecting because she's from Alabama. And she said that, that she knew of like two busloads of men totally fully armed in a school bus for 16 hours to drive or something like that, to drive from Alabama to, to DC for this. Right. So there's a level of commitment that is not just going to disappear when Trump stops tweeting or is once you can't, I don't know, pay for Trump fucking paraphernalia through Shopify, which fuck you Shopify, a Canadian company that's been supporting this shit until like two days ago, go fuck yourselves. Um, and so, uh, that, that's an interesting question. And then the other interesting question is all of these Republicans who are like, oh my God, you know, like I've heard more, um, valorization of Mike Pence than I've heard like at all in the last four years. And it's like, have we forgotten who the fuck Mike Pence is? Like, the folks, the folks are like, oh, can you believe that Donald Trump like actually almost let Mike Pence get killed or whatever? Like whatever the fuck that line was is like, God, like this is not a fucking this is not a soap opera. This is not how you imagine operating with your friends because these people are not normal people. And, and this is all fake. And the Republicans need to shed the Trump brand. But the second that someone like Ivanka comes around, has like tons of support on with both social conservatives and the far right, you fucking have to expect that the Republicans are going to jump right back into the ship and be very happy about it. Or they'll do exactly what Trump did, which was come from the outside and manage to take advantage of everything and, and, and weasel his way into a position of power. So then the question becomes, OK, so then where are the Democrats in all of this? Like the the, the only thing that I think that centrist or the, the, the central command of the Democrats are seeing when they witness like this entirely chaotic scene is it's like, OK, so this is going to be what sets the tone from the start of our mandate, which hasn't even started yet. But the tone is set. We have to reach across the aisle and we have to be united. <laughs> and that's so fucked up. That is so fucked up. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. It's that it's that it's that centrism thing. It, that that's it right there. They're just like you know the the, the debates that you're seeing uh, on the Democratic side are unbelievable. You've got uh, people like Ilhan saying uh, the only thing that we can do as political collectors right now is uh, you know condemn this in the strongest way that we have available to us, which is like an impeachment or uh, the inv invocation of the Twenty Fifth Amendment. And then you have other people who are like, oh my God, that is so sowing the seeds of disunity how could we possibly do that in response we need healing and in order to do the healing thing we must reach across the aisle and listen and have a debate so that we can unite with the white supremacists and make our country whole again unbelievable it's it just 
it cracks my brain. Like I just, it fully turns my brain to just fucking trash juice seeping (laughs) out of my ears. I just don't understand how anybody is like, okay, the correct response here is to unify and heal with the monsters trying to kill half of the population. I just, I don't understand. But you know what? I've got another at least, at least, at least, uh, you know, Twitter, um, Facebook, Instagram, and so on have done the thing. They have, (laughs) they've nixed Trump. They've given him a spanking. It's over. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I they're right. Like, this whole thing happened because of Twitter. Like, all of this organizing was all just because Donald Trump kept on tweeting about this. Yeah, well, I don't want to just, I don't want to give zero credence to that. Because there is, there is something there that, yes, yeah. Twitter, uh, his access to Twitter, his access to being the, the, um, the, the most giant troll to the quote-unquote establishment um is is something that helped his organizing absolutely but like y'all like don't become confused like this type of organizing started way back with the tea party and has been growing ever since and so twitter was a tool but is not the tool um and if it if twitter wanted to have any sort of impact uh, the action that they took uh recently they should have taken that years and years ago um, when Trump was calling for um, genocidal acts against Mexicans when Trump was mm-hmm. um, when Trump was inciting violence uh, against uh, women of color who had been elected uh, to Congress I you know like there's all sorts of times when it would have been more effective than now in fact it's completely ineffective now Because all it does, like at this moment where everyone's like looking and his supporters are feeling all sorts of feelings right now. Right. Because they I'm sure there's a a lot of folks who are a part of, uh, you know, his support base and the white supremacist base who are like, we did a thing. We did a thing on Wednesday, really excited, feeling really emboldened and interested in doing more things like they have been doing across the country. All these um, support rallies that have been happening across Canada and the US that's clear they they feel good they've done a thing they're also watching and they feel persecuted they're like ah oh, look at them trying to silence us yet again which is one of their grand narratives is that they are these correct people who are just you know looking for justice and what is really wrong with supporting white culture and white people and they're just they, they just need to be supported and they're consistently silenced this this action uh, kind of uh, tells them like, yeah, that that's happening. And then they have all of these other options that are available to them that they're able to find right away because it's this moment. It's like the mm-hmm. moment of uh, the quote unquote censorship, which I don't believe that that's what this is. Um, but I am, you know, Nora and I were talking about just before the show, feeling a little bit ambivalent about you know, Twitter and Facebook and all these social media platforms taking this step because it's like, yeah, sure, I uh, should have done this before. But at this moment, what does it really accomplish? Nothing, <laughs> nothing. They're all just going over to Parler or Gab or whatever, you know, fuck whatever, 4chan, 8chan, 
whatever it is, all of these different places that they can continue to organize um, with one another. Like Mm -hmm. I, what does this do? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe not so much that does nothing, but it certainly is not making this go away. And it's, um, you know, this is a business decision from all of these platforms. These platforms know that Trump is less popular than he is more popular. And so finally getting him off these, these platforms is uh, a business decision. I, you know, I think that people are, um, they've been very confused by how to respond to the Twitter situation, the Twitter, Facebook, uh, whatever, all of these other platforms that Trump's been removed from. Because mm-hmm. the reality of, of of social media is that we have been tricked into thinking that these are relationships that we build and we follow people uh, that we like and we engage with people directly. And we forget that that, that direct engagement is always mitigated by a for-profit private platform, by a for-profit private corporation that makes a fuckload of money off of, um, off of harassment and off of hate. And so... And and Nora, sorry, before you move on, I just want to add to that list that you just uh, generated of like, you know, what we think it is, is that uh, we've also been tricked into thinking that it's some sort of public space. Right. And it's not. It's it's a private space. Right. And so, you know, it's kind of like all of the biggest social issues that we always deal with all the time. And, you know, you see the, the, the tip of the iceberg. But what's the real issue? Well, the real issue is that there's not a single fucking government that is willing to rein in these corporations that is willing to fuck even tax them. Right. Like, obviously, <laughs> Facebook, who, who looks at the Canadian government is like, fuck, I'm not paying any tax. Like, go to hell. Uh, none of us can do that as citizens um, is uh, or not as non-citizens. Fuck, if you if you purchase anything in this country, you have to pay tax. And um, and, st- and, and and Facebook is just too big for that. And, you know, it's 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 this incredible Frankenstein outgrowth of American capitalism. And so it's really important to keep that in mind, because I saw I've saw there's some people that are like, well, it should be nationalized. We, we should nationalize Twitter. And it's like, who should nationalize it? The fucking American government? Like, really okay like or or you know i made a joke but it's like like the united nations like do we need some sort of international treaty that would like manage a, a, a multi-nation platform like like facebook or like like twitter like it you know th- this is where it's the knee-jerk reactions because the the then the questions become really really thorny and really complicated very quickly um and so i i think that if people are like trying to sort through is this a freedom of speech issue or not it's like it can be not a freedom of speech issue and also something that concerns you because, of course, people have been um, removed from Twitter all the time. Right. I mean, there's tons of folks who I've fucking been suspended like five times. Uh, you know, every single time has been through her- people harassing me off of the off of the platform. So it's just like, you know, we have to keep our head on straight. And, and most importantly, like we have to be reminded that our organizing can't just happen there, um, just as the organizing of the far right is not just happening online. The online world is bringing people together in ways that, that has never happened before and is giving people a platform in ways that has never happened before because we're able to circumvent mass media. But um, it isn't as if uh, there's not all these other locations for people to do this organizing. And it isn't as if that organizing isn't happening in real life. I mean, fuck, there was a suicide bombing on Christmas Day in the United States. And Mm -hmm. it got nothing, no coverage almost from the mainstream media, right? There wasn't like days and days and days of the pictures of the, of downtown Nashville being completely blown to bits. And like the first time I saw them, I was like, oh my God, like, 
How has this not been on the news anywhere? Um, and so, you know, then the question becomes, well, what is the role of, of Twitter and Facebook in the in a world where we also have mass communications through mainstream for profit and public broadcasting? And I think that that might be where we can kind of pivot because we do have to talk about Canada, um, of course. But people flock to social media because it's a place where they can amplify their voice and they can amplify their voice, whether it's to share pictures of their kids or to put their opinion down or to work through a question or to just say how they're feeling. And the more that that has taken a place in our life, the, the, the more uh, that our mainstream media has become fucking decimated. And there's direct connections between, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram, like basically stealing local news and then providing it for free. And then the local stations are fucked. Um, but there's also kind of more of a of a theoretical kind of approach to be looking at this. And as as we're not seeing ourselves um, in 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 media, but we're able to express ourselves more in social media, of course, we're going to flock further to these for profit private corporations under the guise that it's giving us a public platform. And and it's really important. To remember, like in Canada, we consider, and I think this is probably the case across the world, we consider our airwaves public. We consider, like, if you've ever listened to the radio at five in the morning and when they do their station identification, which they have to do as per the CRTC, that you have to say that these are public airways and there's a public regulator that that manages how the the, the, the public space operates. The fucking internet is not public mm-hmm. because we've never made mm-hmm. it public. These corporations are not public because we've never made That's it right. public. We're fucking outsourcing internet now to fucking Elon Musk so that people in, in remote or, or not even remote, sometimes areas just not reached by, by, by high-speed internet can't get their fucking internet. And so, you know, don't forget these things. Don't confuse Twitter with being the public airways that we actually should and do have access to. And so what are the levers that we can pull to actually get ourselves back into some of those uh, spaces? Um, or is it completely fucked? Is, is our future actually 100% private, for-profit communications? <laughs> That's such a big question. I mean... Sorry. I mean, <laughs> I, well, I feel like we have a little bit of a uh, of an episode on this uh, from before. It's slightly from a different angle on how um, important it is actually uh, to have access to the Internet as a form of communication, um, that it, there should be some sort of uh, public provision of it like it it doesn't make sense I mean if it if this was uh, 40 years ago or maybe even more than that maybe if this was like 60 years ago I feel like um, that would have been a no-brainer but we're living in uh, late stage uh, ridiculous capitalism now so nobody cares and or even thinks about it as a as a as an issue Um, uh, but you know you're right all of the discussions that we're having are being mitigated by uh, private interests and so what does that mean um the the internet is not just you know it's 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 not the case that trump was just successful because uh on twitter as like this really popular figure on twitter to these uh the white supremacist groups simply because he is he has like the mind of like the cleverest um uh pithy statement maker that's not what it is i mean the algorithm is set up so that controversy uh becomes popular um because controversy is profitable 
people click on controversy and you can surround controversy with 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 really really great ads and i mean that's more facebook than twitter obviously um and more youtube than twitter obviously but these uh, these systems are set up so that you spend as much time doom scrolling as possible and so you know when you should be getting uh, some sort of analysis or news or discussion about uh, you know, the the types of white supremacist acts that have been happening locally in your area uh, that you might want to be concerned about and what the government has done about it. That's not what uh, these non-public airwaves uh, or internet pipes <laughs> are going to send to you. Um, they're going to send to you the most controversial stuff ever, which is Trump. And I mean, that sort of logic has bled into the way our media works all together. And so we get our media paying attention to an idiot like Maxime Bernier um, for uh, during an election period, even though it makes no sense to do that <laughs> because he's controversy and he's clicks and it'll get you to doom scroll, even though it doesn't make any sense. And so, I mean, we have to have that as part of our analysis of what's going on when we're on, when we're using these social media platforms, they are dictating um, what's important and creating new news as much as the actors themselves are doing that. The one other thing to say on all of this is just how sad I've been feeling. <laughs> just like, God, people hate black people so much. <laughs> and it fucking sucks uh like i just you know uh it, god remember how the everyone was like concerned about georgia a few fucking days ago like that feels like a year ago away but i mean part of what's happened here is a is a response to um black people organizing themselves and impacting the direction of of uh, of uh, politics uh, directly, and you know these people who are these obvious raging white supremacists are you know coming together and saying that they they want to stop election fraud or whatever, but what they're chanting at these rallies is "fuck BLM," and what they're doing is attacking these black people on the street. And so much of this is in response to uh, BLM as an organization, uh, the success of our organizing, um, and, you know, just like historically a response to fucking Obama being elected. It's all, all of these things are related. And the hatred of black people is just so, so strong um, to encourage all of this. And it just makes me real fucking sad. Yeah, I would really encourage everybody that listens to Sandy and Nora to look at your own life, uh, especially if you're white, um, and and look at how anti-black racism is present, uh, is present at your work site, is present um, in your socializing, is present in your family, and, and, and actually confront it. Like, start to name it. Start to 
understand um, what purpose it plays and who benefits from anti-Black racism. You know, a lot of times I think that we've really, um, and a lot of people say this too, we've really um, kind of not made a mistake, but I think we've confused ourselves with the language of like white privilege, right? Like I have the privilege of getting a Band-Aid in the color of my skin. I have the privilege of getting a job um, because I'm white, uh, that kind of thing. And I think that, you know, one of the things I really hope that people can do, we can start challenging ourselves to stop saying white privilege when what we really mean is uh, white supremacy or what Mm -hmm. we really mean Mm -hmm. is anti-black racism, right? So is it really Mm -hmm. white privilege that you um, get better health uh, attention when you go to the hospital, let's say if you're white, is that white privilege? Uh, or is what you're actually saying is that someone who is not white actually uh, will have a pulse oximeter not read their oxygen levels correctly? Or uh, a, a person about to give birth will have a, 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 blood, a hemorrhage, um, will, will hemorrhage while, while giving birth at a rate much higher than had they not been uh, racialized, had they not been black or indigenous, and, and especially. And that's really important because because it isn't about like the privilege narrative is so fucking liberal again that it isn't mm-hmm. actually about my personal privilege, Nora Loretto. Like it's actually about how me, Nora Loretto, I fit into this other this world in the work that I do and the things that I say in the culture I consume in the people that I uplift and that I work with and you know, we all can can always like do better, right? Of course, we have to do better and not just do better, but we have to explain this to people for whom uh, a lot of it is invisible because it's the other feature of white supremacy, uh, which is that it renders that that thing that creates white privilege invisible, right? So we have to make it visible for people so that we can actually combat this stuff. And I think that that's really helpful, too, because there's been a lot of like the narrative of the United States, like, well, these are just down and out white people. It's economic anxiety. It's all this kind of thing. Right. And it's like, um, no, uh, like a lot of them, like there were fucking people taking like private jets. Right. This mm-hmm. isn't about. like, Yeah. OK. Rich people have economic anxiety, probably more than a lot of other people, but not for like good reasons. Um, and and so like reformulating this I think is just so so important and if you're not really sure how to do it or if you like want to ask a white person like really white people questions I mean you can always message me and I will do my best to help you (laughs) 